We're just communicating with our dogs, with our habits, with our body language, with our words, with, with everything, with our energy and intention. And if we're not aware of what we're communicating and how, how the heck are we supposed to change it? Because really our dogs are just responding to us. Hello, 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 and welcome back to another episode of Honest to Dog Podcast. It's me, Liz Foley, your favorite dog trainer. And Jeff Gadway, your favorite co-host. Hi, babe. Hi, Liz. <laughs> welcome back. Welcome back. How you doing today? How you feeling? A little sleepy, but good. I feel good. Okay. How's the week been? Interesting. It's been a lot of like working on the business this week, I find. Um, last week was really busy with clients and shadow and all of these other things. And now it's like a bit of a quiet week, which lets me take a step back and do some of the the deep work, um, which I usually try to avoid as much as possible. <laughs> but um, no, it's been really good. I'm preparing for some things in the coming weeks that I'm really excited about. Well, today we're talking about building new habits. Mm -hmm. And maybe there are some takeaways here that extend beyond dogs. I mean, there always are with our show, right? Mm -hmm. um, but how can we build habits to tackle working on the business in addition to working in the business? Yeah. Just like working, you know, on your relationship with your dog in addition to the day-to-day -day stuff, just, you know, yeah. existing with your dog. Mm-hmm. Why is it important that we talk about building habits when it comes to dog training? Like, How does that interconnect with your philosophy? Change isn't easy. I will say that. And so when we're building new habits, it's hard to stick to them. And if we're expecting our dogs to change, we need to be consistent with these new habits so that our dogs learn new habits and expectations. And then that becomes just our way of life. So I don't consider training like a one and done. Training is ongoing. It's your lifestyle. It's how you live with your dog. It's everything you do with your dog. And that sounds overwhelming. I know. So start small and start with small habits and, and apply those and practice it so frequently. It just becomes your way of life with your dog and then grow on that. I'm glad you touched on one of your most famous lines. I've heard you say it hundreds of times with group training clients, with private training clients, dog training is not a diet, it's a lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Or I think you actually say it is dog training is a lifestyle, not a diet. Sorry, I mixed it up. But That's right. same, same, same impact. And I love that you said just now that a lifestyle is a collection of habits. Mm -hmm. And so while changing your lifestyle might feel like an overwhelming, daunting task, and in some respects it is, if we think about breaking it down into forming a series of enduring habits, mm -hmm. then it becomes a lot more approachable, a lot more palatable and easier to sustain. Mm -hmm. Exactly. You're setting yourself up to succeed. But even forming habits can be really tough, especially in the world that we live in now with so many different demands for our time, for our attention. Mm -hmm for our endorphins and you know our our, our feel good stuff mm -hmm. so what we're going to get into today are some strategies around building habits forming habits that will add up to a sustained change in your dog and your relationship with your dog mm -hmm. exactly so where do we start well let's talk about why consistency is the name of the game. 
when it comes to dogs, why is sometimes maybe Mm -hmm. not a good enough standard to actually make long-term change in your relationship or in your dog's behavior? Dogs don't understand exceptions. We can't rationalize with them being like, well, on Sundays, it's okay because we're just going to forget all the rules and just enjoy our day together. That's going to really confuse your dog. If you're inconsistent with your dog, your dog's behaviors then become inconsistent and unpredictable, right? They need consistency in order to thrive and form their new habits. And so this is what I was realizing a little bit with Blue was that I was like, okay, why isn't he getting it? I thought I was being consistent, but I wasn't being consistent for long enough. I'd be like, that's good enough. Let's move on to the next habit. Mm. And we weren't perfecting anything. And so he wasn't 100% sure of what to be doing at times because I was looking at it like this huge mountain of all of these things that I had to change to help him overcome so many issues, separation anxiety, uh, fear aggression, if you want to call it, or just intense reactivity to other dogs. And this just deep underlying insecurity with him. And I was trying to rush and go through the motions. Like, remember how hard thresholds were with him initially? Like, I've never seen a dog like Blue around doorways where it was like panic with him. Like, I have to get through it like as quickly as possible. It was just this next level excitement, anxiety, fear, whatever it was, all wrapped up in this tiny body. And there was like no getting through to him. And that took a lot of repetitions to get and improve with him. But were there times that we rushed it? Being like, well, we just got to get him outside to pee. Yeah, absolutely. And so we, it was once we really doubled down on like, no, like we're getting this. It was really when we came back from LA because LA just felt kind of like a lot was going on. and so, I mean, I've talked about it on this episode, on this podcast before, that it wasn't necessarily the best time to have a new dog, especially with as many issues as Blue had. Um, but once I started to be like, no, consistency is super important and we're getting it to as close as perfect as possible. And that's how we're going to see progress with our dogs. So uphold that same standard ongoing because otherwise it's not fair to your dog. Something that you said triggered a a memory that I have of working with a a coach a few years ago. I used to go and hit with this tennis coach once a week, Dave. And Dave said to me once, I can't help you change anything until you're consistent. Mm. And what he meant by that was, well, if every swing of the tennis racket is different, I don't know what to change. Mm. I don't know what to tell you to do. But if you can do the same thing repeatedly, even if it's the wrong thing, then we can look at what you're doing, your consistent pattern, and begin to tweak and optimize it to improve it. Mm-hmm. Does the same thing go for dog training? And here's what here's what I mean. Let me set up the scenario. If let's use the walk for example, if you come into a household and every time a client goes to cross a threshold and take the dog from inside to outside, they do it differently. How are you able to coach them on what to do right if every time it's different? Whereas at least if they were doing the same thing, they start following the process, they start becoming consistent with the steps, with the routines, the rituals. Now you've got a baseline to coach off of. You're like, okay, well, 
you did the steps, but you didn't wait for good enough eye contact here, or Mm -hmm. you didn't, you know, relax tension on the leash. Now you can, you can coach. So I guess my, my question, Liz, is how do you think about the balance between consistency and accuracy? Is it better for somebody to be consistent, even if it's not perfect, and then you can build upon that consistency? Or would you rather them get it to a high degree of accuracy and then practice consistency from there? Or does it matter? Hmm. Well, I think for the most part, people do have regular habits with their dog. Because when I start with a session in home, I'll be like, show me what you normally do. For the most part, people have something. I don't think I've ever been somewhere where they're like, well, it depends on the day or whatever. Usually it's like, well, we leash him up here and then we go through the garage or whatever, whatever. And then there's it's there's that ability for me to be like, okay, well, when you're here, just add this, right? Because you're right. When someone has like a predictable kind of habit with their dog, we can get more precise with, okay, when you do this, just change X, right? So for a lot of people going through thresholds, we'll just use that as an example because we were already talking about it. They will hold their arm up, like doing a bicep curl or even back as they go through the door. And so you're right, they put tension on the leash. And so when you have a habit that you do, the first step is awareness. And then that's how we can change it. So I will have them repeat it and be like, oh, you did that thing with your arm again. You're doing the bicep curl, relax your arm. And we'll, we have to do it numerous times over and over and over again until they're like, oh, and I'll notice that they'll relax their arm on their own. I'm like, yes, that right there. See how you caught your habit and now we're changing it. There has to be an awareness. So I do think there has to already kind of be an established pattern. That makes a lot of sense. And I think something that's important to take away from what you just said, so I want to clarify it, make sure people really heard it and understand it, is everybody has habits today already. Mm -hmm. They might be good habits or bad habits or maybe just suboptimal habits, but it's not like we're saying you're starting completely from scratch necessarily. What I'm hearing you say is that a good coach, a good trainer will kind of work with what you got. Yeah. as a baseline and make adjustments and tweaks. Whereas I think maybe inexperienced trainers or new trainers or, or maybe let's just call it what it is, not the best trainers are going to come in and say, you got to do it my way and you got to do it exactly like this and not work with the baseline that the person already has, which is essentially the same thing as working with nature. You talk about like when you're working with dogs, you got to work with nature. Well, same thing with humans. If there's already a, an established routine, a good trainer should be able to build on that and adjust it and tweak it and optimize it versus throwing everything away and starting from complete ground zero, which I think is really scary for a lot of people and really hard to change. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it is possible. I mean, I work with new dog owners right away when they get their dogs. And like, that's amazing. We are starting with a blank slate but that's not always super common. I'm usually working with people on cleaning up behaviors that have developed over a time. And so they do have a habit and sometimes they're not aware of it at all, mm. right? So, and that's, that's the thing that I'm constantly highlighting for people. I'm like, okay, you tend to do this with your dog. So your dog does that because we're just communicating with our dogs, with our habits, with our body language, with our words, with, with everything, with our energy and intention. And 
if we're not aware of what we're communicating and how, how the heck are we supposed to change it? Because really our dogs are just responding to us. So now that we've established that habits are important when it comes to having positive training outcomes with your dog, what are the biggest challenges that you see clients that you work with face when it comes to establishing these habits? Mm. Obviously, they want change if they're coming to you, engaging with you, hiring you. So where does where does the process of building that new habit fall down? Almost always with consistency, with keeping it across the board, where it's like when we're not in training, we're still training, right? And so like if I see someone leaving a group class and we were just working on leash pulling and stuff and they're like, okay, bye, Liz, see you next time. And their dog's in front and pulling on the leash. I'm just like, oh my gosh, we just undid everything. And so like you have to want it bad enough to be consistent when your trainer isn't even there. So upholding that standard going forward. And when people really commit to that, they see success so much faster because it compounds like it's just like this next level thing. And so what I try to teach a lot of my clients is let's do as many repetitions as possible so it becomes muscle memory, yes, for your dog, but more so than anything for you. Do it and do it and do it and do it. That's part of like my process. Practice until it's perfect. And then it becomes so much easier. But when we do like a kind of one and done in a class and then go home and then we don't practice it with everything, then we're not going to make the changes. We're not going to do the training. We're not going to live the training. Do clients do an- enough repetitions in your mind? No. <laughs> No, I, I, and that's something that I really tried to drill into them where we'll do an exercise and I'll be like, okay, the, here's where it went wrong. Let's do it again. Okay. That was much better. This time be, pay attention to this. Okay. That was perfect. Do it again. They're like, why? You just got it. I'm like, yeah, that's why we're going to do it again. So here's my question for you then. And we see this all the time with our nieces. When they figure something out, they mm-hmm. do it at nauseum. They do it and they do it and they do it and they do it. And you're like, okay, we got it. But they keep doing it. So kids, when they figure something new out, they're inclined to put in more reps mm-hmm. and continue doing it and reinforce that habit, solidify it. Because they feel good. They feel proud. And they're like, I can do it. So where is the breakdown as adults? Mm-hmm. You know, If you get your dog to do the thing, to sit, give eye contact, by the same theory, we should want to just repeat, 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 and continue to see those results because we've done it and we know we can do it, and yet we seem to shy away from it. Why is that? I think because we have expectations of being perfect and we tell ourselves stories of, well, I can't do that again. We actually like have the opposite storyline of kids. Oh my God, I did it once. I can do it again. Humans are like, that was really hard. I did it that one time. I don't know if I can replicate it. And I'm like, we got to. And what's crazy is it always takes the longest the first time with a dog. And then immediately after it gets easier and easier and easier. That's what I know from having worked with dogs. And so in my mind, I'm going, oh, 
I lifted a mountain with doing all of that work. Whew, I'm going to do it again and it's going to be like half the time. And I'm going to do it again and it's going to happen easier and easier and easier. And so I will show that and demonstrate and I'm always coaching them. It takes the longest the first time because you're working through a lot of the time, fight, flight, avoid until you finally get to surrender. And then we do it again and flight, flight, avoid becomes faster and faster. Or maybe you just get avoid. You know what I mean? And so I already know as a professional, having done this with dogs for like 12 years plus, that it's going to get easier, not harder. And so we just have to change our mindset and framework because if you did it once, you can absolutely do it again. I think that's a powerful message, a powerful takeaway and and I'll try to I'll try to internalize this a little bit. You do it the first time, it takes a long time. And you're saying as a dog trainer with over 11 years experience, you know for a fact the second time will not take as long and the third time will not take as long as the second time and there's this like decay, right? Mm-hmm. And it happens really quickly. I think a lot of us, me included, we look at the amount of work effort, units of effort it took to get it the first time. And immediately I'm like, I can't go through, I don't want to go through that again. I can't go through that again. Mm-hmm. And so we we avoid or we delay. I think that's part of it. And I think you just need to believe, you need to trust in what Liz is saying here, that if you do it right away, mm-hmm. the second time will be easier. If you wait mm-hmm. and do it again later on, and that pathway hasn't already been reinforced by putting in a bunch of reps pretty quickly, it will take Mm -hmm. a long time the second time. And so the avoidance is actually making the process harder. The second thing is for me, it's that fear of failure. Mm. I don't know if I can do it again. And I see this with myself like on the golf course, right? I'm trying to practice a shot on the range and it takes me a whole bunch of reps to do it. And I hit I hit a good one. I flush it. And then I'm like afraid of doing trying to do that again because I'm afraid of failing. Mm-hmm. And feeling like I've moved backwards. It's the same thing with Blue. I have a really good walk. I mean, I don't avoid walking him. I obviously take him for a walk. But there's probably some doubt or uncertainty in my mind if I will be successful on the next walk because the last experience I had was so positive. Mm. I feel like there's nowhere to go but backwards. Oh, that's sad. That kind of hurts my heart. <laughs> but I I can relate to that. I'm not feeling it right now these days. I'm I'm I've felt that in the past for sure. Mm-hmm. When I've had a breakthrough, I'm like, "Oh, well, can I do that again?" I feel like that's anxiety. Mm. Right? Where it's something that I deal with, like when I'm happy, even I'm like, oh, this is temporary. (laughs) This won't last. Um, And so, but like then that, that pulls you away from enjoying the moment. We're creating these stories of this was so good. How can I replicate it? Or like, this is never going to happen again. Like all of these things. And what if this becomes the new normal? Mm -hmm. What if it is easier moving on and moving forward and continuing to practice this? It's so easy to think negatively because like we're just self-sabotaging really is what we're doing. Um, And so much of success in general is a mind game, right? It's mindset and it's 
this belief that it will happen. But the reality is, is showing up, being consistent, having high standards and executing it to those expectations is what's going to help you move further and further towards your goal. I think what's really cool about that too, just like every subsequent time is going to get easier, the more repetitions you put in at that high quality, Mm -hmm. you begin to see this exponential growth curve. So if if people aren't familiar with an exponential growth curve, just look it up in, in Google, like exponential growth. And we were just looking at this the other day. I forget what we were talking about. It was something like personal development related, mm-hmm. where if you look at the horizontal axis over the first kind of period of time, it doesn't really look like there's any progress being made whatsoever. And you might feel like, am I really getting anything out of this? But then somewhere along the way, and it's hard to know exactly when it happens, you're like, whoa, there's actually a pretty big leap in the the y-axis, the vertical axis. And then the further along the time axis you go, the number of reps, the the leaps seem to get bigger and bigger and bigger. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, oh, wow, how did I get here? Yeah, exactly. Many times a client will be saying to me, my dog still does X. And I'm constantly reminding them of like, but do you remember when he couldn't even do the most simple basic thing? And so- That's a lot of the time when I'm like, if you're struggling with your training, working with a coach, not only to hold you accountable, but also to remind you of your success along the way, because we, we've talked about this many times, like we are our own worst critic. And so we're going to nitpick the things where we're just like, oh, but he's not doing this. And oh, he's still struggling with that. I mean, I've helped you with that with blue and you've shone a light on things like that with me in blue, where we get so hyper-focused on the things that are going wrong that that's all we see. And that's going to hurt your consistency and your longevity in this training game where we need to celebrate even the smallest of wins to keep that momentum and going forward. When it comes to keeping things moving forward and staying on track with habits, how much does boredom or monotony mm. come in the way of us staying consistent with practicing the right habits? Oh my gosh, so much. And like, especially like my style of training is no big deal training, right? And so it's it's calm, it's boring, I'm sure for some people. And we wanna rush and get things going and, and move through it. And I'm like, let's go slow. Let's make sure everybody's focused and doing what is expected of them. Um, And so I think that it is quite easy to let that go because it's just like, okay, here we go again. But that's why having a reminder of your goals is really important, why you're doing this, what is important to you. Because really, especially like when it comes to training as a lifestyle to holistically help your dog with their behavioral issues, you might not see the correlation between crating and separation anxiety or thresholds and reactivity and all of these things, but they matter and it all stacks up. And it's once you start seeing some of those improvements, that's what's going to keep you going. But the improvements don't necessarily come overnight. And so especially if your dog's been dealing with certain behaviors ongoing, 
it might take some time. And I mean, we always talk about Simon Sinek, <laughs> where he does a whole talk about if you go to the gym one day, you look in the mirror, you're not going to see results, right? And you keep doing that and doing that and doing that until all of a sudden, it's like a month later and you're like, whoa, wait, hey, I can see those changes now. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. paying off. So, But sorry. I think a lot of people, no, it, just to build on that, a lot of people after they go to the gym for seven days and they look in the mirror and there's really no perceivable difference, they're like, well, this isn't working. Mm -hmm. So they throw the habit out mm -hmm. before it's actually had an opportunity to take hold. We say the same thing to clients in marketing. We say, you're going to get tired of your message, your campaign, mm -hmm. long before your customer ever will. Mm -hmm. We see it all the time. People are like, well, we've been on this message for however many months. Great. Are you sick of it? Yeah, we're so sick of it. Perfect. This is the time to double down because your customer isn't as close to it as you are. And mm -hmm. so if you're sick of it, that means maybe they're starting to pay attention. And yet so many people want to go on to the new, new, go on to the shiny new thing because mm -hmm. they're looking for that, that new excitement, that new surge of, yep. of, whatever. And I think it's the same thing with dogs too, that we get bored of the habits we're trying to build for our dogs long before our dogs do mm -hmm. and long before the job is done. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like welcome to ADHD, <laughs> shiny new object syndrome. Like I feel like I feel so seen and attacked. Um, but it's true. And it's playing that long game that actually yields the most results. It's not the intensity at which you do something. It's the consistency over a long extended period of time. Let's talk about that because I think when it comes to habits, whether it's dog training or New Year's resolutions, people tend to want to do everything all at once. It's mm -hmm. high intensity mm -hmm. because they feel passionate about it in the moment. And so they want to make all the changes in the world. But how does that work out? Or let me ask you this, does it does it work that way? And do you see that a lot in dog training, either with clients or other trainers and their styles? And how impactful or unimpactful is that? Mm -hmm. I think when some clients try to go it alone, they do a ton of research and they have these big audacious goals and they try to tackle it all on their own, doing them all and you run out of steam. You, you can't, it's like running up Mount Everest. <laughs> You're gonna tap out, you really are. Even though you have the best of intentions, you are sprinting at the start and I would rather you crawl, crawl, walk, run, to build on those habits and go. And I mean, I did a training session last week where another trainer had been there before me and she teaches in a similar-ish style, but she did a three hour one-off session and the woman, felt incredibly overwhelmed with the amount of information she learned and the necessary changes that she had to do that she didn't do any of it. She was like, she left and I had no idea what I was supposed to do. And so in our session, we did one thing and one thing only. And I'm like, this dog's intensity is really extreme that we do, we have to crawl first and foremost. And so this might not seem like a big thing, but I'm telling you, this relates to everything. And it took an hour and a half to do this one thing. And that was calm in the crate. 
coming out through that crate door calmly. And it felt like just this slow, slow process. And I'm like, this is my first interaction with them too, being like, this dog is barking, losing its mind in the crate. And I have to see it through all the way to calm surrender and follow through to that and set the expectation and then pass it off to the owner to replicate and do it again for me. I'm like, I just did the heavy lifting. I just did the one that's going to take the longest amount of time. Now it's your turn and we're going to do this couple repetitions so that we make this easy for you to replicate when I'm not here and easy for your dog to understand what the expectation is here. So we do it through to completion. So let me ask you this. If a better approach than high intensity all at once is to take the strategy and break it down into a series of smaller digestible habits, put in a lot of reps to drill that and make that habit a behavior or a lifestyle and then build, Mm -hmm. how do you know when habit number one is to a point that you can begin to layer in habit two? It's getting to a point where it's easy, where it's starting to become just the norm for you and your dog. It doesn't have to be fully achieved, but it's definitely getting there where it's like, okay, this is this is easy now. Let's build. So we should, we don't want you to get bored installed there. We want to continue to push you. So then we're like, okay, let's do the next. So you have one that isn't working to still get fixed because that's too much to think about all at once. Well, I have to work on this and then this, and you're going to probably do both of those very half-assedly. So that's not a word it should be. I like be. it. <laughs> but but I think this is, a, this is a neat thought. If what you're saying is you can't think about two things at once, mm-hmm. then a good time to introduce the second habit is when you're able to execute on habit one to a high degree of mm-hmm. accuracy mm-hmm. without thinking about it. Mm-hmm. When it becomes second, autonomous, second right? Second nature. Second nature. And then you can introduce the second thing and start to layer and build. Because if I was to ask you to do 10 things at 100%, you wouldn't do one of them at 100%. And I want you to do 100%. Because if you put in 60% effort, your dog will give you 60% results. And then you're not happy with the training and you're not seeing progress. And so it's my job as a professional to be like, okay, here's where we're starting. And here's the first thing we're going to change. So let's say you add in that second thing and you see that either the the client is having a hard time doing both of those things together or in adding the second thing, the first thing maybe faltered a little bit. Mm -hmm. What do you do? Remind them. Go back to the basics. Go Go back back to the step step before. Yeah. If, If it was you that maybe dropped the ball or if it was your dog got distracted and whatever it is, reset, go back to what came before and then try again. Oh my gosh. This is, this is reminding me of a recent experience that I had reteaching myself how to do a Rubik's cube. Mm. Okay. So I promise this will be a short story, but (laughs) really it's just a series of movements. It's a, it's a series of algorithms. And you solve the top side, and then you solve the middle layer, then you solve the bottom layer, and you break those 
three steps down into some other steps. But what I found is instead of trying to solve the whole whole cube all at once, Mm. what I did was I drilled myself on how to solve the top side, the white side. Mm -hmm. And once I felt like I had that down, you know, and I could do it pretty much while watching TV without really thinking about it, without counting the moves left up, right, over, whatever, then I added the middle. And I found that I'd struggle with the first thing. So I went back, just like what you're saying. Mm-hmm. And then you you have steps one and two. And then you add step three. And maybe, you know, I, what in my experience, not only did step two suffer because I was drilling step three so much, step one really suffered because I wasn't putting any intention mm-hmm. or focus. So I kind of needed to reteach myself step one and step two And then I could start putting it all together. So Mm -hmm. I feel like it's kind of the same thing. Like you're going to drill the first thing with your dog and get it nailed cold. When you add the second thing, it's probably not uncommon for the first thing to maybe see a little bit of regression. And that's okay. That's part of the process. It's testing the first step and it allows you to kind of go back and clean it up and put the pieces together. And that's progress. Mm Mm-hmm. It makes me think of my hip hop days (laughs) Um, and learning routines. And it was like, you start here and then you add on. Okay, let's go back. Now start here and there's the add on. Start here, add on, add on. Like, And you grow on it. You don't just be like, okay, now you know the first part of the dance. Let's just tackle the second part of the dance. It's always like adding on to it. And then you repeat. So you don't miss steps. So you're Mm. literally growing on what you already have and you get better and better and better. Ooh, this is this is an interesting path to be on. I hope everyone's following. When you do that, Liz, do you always teach? And maybe there's an example we could use so that we're not just talking abstractly in steps. But is there ever a scenario where you know you'll you'll teach step one, they get it nailed down. You'll teach step two, kind of in not independently, but kind of independently, and then they get that, and then it's like okay, you know. We've Mr. Miyagi'd you by painting the fence and washing the car. Now we're going to put it together and voila, you're on a walk. Do I do that? Yeah. I think you do, actually. I think think you do. Like the walk is probably a good example because leashing up, thresholds, stairways, warming up are all component pieces of a walk and yet they're independent habits you need to build. Mm -hmm. You need to build good habits in terms of leashing up calmly. You need to build good habits in terms of leading your dog through thresholds, leading your dog up and down stairways, doing the proper warm-up activities. And you can build those habits kind of independently of each other. Mm -hmm. And then you put them together and it might take some finessing to connect all the dots and make the system work. But you've built those habits and they're rock solid in their own right. So they're going to work together and ensure that the outcome is really, really strong. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And guess what? By our whatever number of sessions, if we're going through those motions and we're at warm up, technically, but we have a, there's a misstep in the stairs. Haha, <laughs> see what I did there? That's good. <laughs> we're going to go back to thresholds mm-hmm. before we move on from stairs to th- to warming up so that it's fluid and so that we're we're really making sure we're practicing the right habits consistently that's an interesting thought too once you get the the main building blocks rehearsing the transitions 
between them to ensure that there's connectivity and fluidity between them. And the example that you know, I was thinking about before, you know, thinking about the habits independently, when I go to practice um, a speech or a talk I'm going to do, I break it down. I chunk it up into essentially blocks, right? And I'll work on block one. And then once I feel like I've got block one, I'll move to block two and work on block two. And then I'll go back and I'll test myself on block one. Mm -hmm. And I'll find inevitably, because like you say, you can only retain so much information at a time, even though half an hour ago, block one was at 100%. Now that I've added in this additional cognitive load of block two, block one, well, it's only back to 60%. But I'm able to get back to that level much more quickly, like we were saying at the beginning. And now I've got one and two together. Yeah. And now I can go on to three. But, and this is where the transitions come in. If you're not thinking about those things as a system at some point, and you're only thinking about them as individual habits and not mm -hmm. the connective tissue between block one, block two, block three, you'll have memorized parts of your speech, but you don't have a full speech. Mm-hmm. And you can often get lost, and I coach people on this when I talk to pu about public speaking, you can get lost, and if you get off track, you're kind of without a compass because all you know are these individual sections, and you haven't spent enough time on the connective tissue between them. Mm -hmm. Exactly. It all makes so much sense. Yeah. So I think, I think that's something that's really important, kind of bringing it all back to dog training, is... You need to identify what the habits are you want to build mm -hmm. and have a plan to work on them independently, but also spend time rehearsing them as a system so that those habits come together as that lifestyle and they're not completely siloed. Yeah, 100%. Just as a closing thought, Liz, talk to me about the role of a coach or a trainer when it comes to building good habits relative to doing it yourself and maybe what some of the merits of working with a coach are and then separately if you're going to do it yourself what are some practices that you can build to be more successful than just winging it mm -hmm. i think it's important if you're doing it on your own to start with small goals and chunk it out appropriately um it can seem like a huge mountain to climb when you're going at it alone and you have bigger issues to clean up, you really got to focus on some of the small things and it might seem unrelated, but like start with the walk. It matters. Um, and if you don't know where you're going with that, look into some resources. I mean, this is an awesome one here. We've got episodes on the walk. Um, we have the reboot for the walk and there are other trainers out there who have tons of information as well. So, really dive into whatever makes the most sense to you and connects to you and put in 100% in that area. Don't try to do everything all at once. Um, set a schedule, journal if you have to, have some sort of way of keeping yourself accountable. Um, maybe it's shooting videos and uploading them to Instagram every day of you doing the things. Um, but making sure you're holding yourself to creating those new habits and upholding them consistently. This is where I find coaching is so important and having a trainer, whether it's virtual or in person, is they can check in on you and hold you accountable. 
make sure you are doing the work and even ask for receipts. So I'll be like, send me a video. I want to see it. How is that going? Um, so we can make sure you're executing at the level you should be. Um, because when you don't have a coach, you don't really know, right? And so that's a lot of the time I've worked with clients who've listened to the podcast and they, they're practicing a lot of this, the right things, but they're missing a small component or something. There's like an unlock. And so it's like, it's cleaning it up. So even if you have been working on your own for a while, but something's just not lining up, hire somebody, work with somebody, and they can tweak just the littlest thing and give you a cue to remember. And then, because we're so close to our own dogs, it's hard to see things really clearly and objectively. So that's where a coach can come in. Um, but they're also going to give you the, the smallest steps to work on first so that you can be successful and build on that momentum and then keep going. When we're doing it ourselves, we might bite off more than we can chew and then we'll feel really discouraged when we don't get it and we don't get there and then we give up. And when we give up, it's really hard to reestablish ourselves as leaders to our dogs because they're like, you don't follow through. You give up every time. And so when you've done this on again, off again, on again, off again, your dog's really going to challenge you when you're like, no, but this time we're sticking with it. And again, a coach can be like, hey, just a reminder, your dog's just not believing in you because because of your past track record. And that's okay, right? It's like um, when you're working with a dietitian, they're going to ask you how many times have you been on a, on a diet before because that messes with your digestion and your metabolism. And so it goes yo-yo. So they're going to have to have a little bit of a different approach or know that your results aren't going to show until way later in the program because your body's like, but are you really going to stick with it? So are our dogs. And so this accountability, this manageable portions of, of doing the work, that's what's going to yield success because you're not going to stop. The consistency will be there. I love that, Liz. It's probably a great place to end that our dogs are looking for us to establish habits that they can rely on, that they can count on for consistency and structure in their lives because we know that structure and routine is something that our dogs crave and value. Predictability equals stability. Ooh. Right? And safety. And so that's what our dogs need in order to trust and respect us. What's one habit you're going to work on this week? Does it have to be dog related? Sure. Oh. <laughs> or, or no. I mean. Um, with a bit of a busier schedule for me, I haven't been as consistent with my water intake. Um, so I want to get back to that where I got to be carrying my jug of water around. So I'm drinking what I need to because I know that that's a really important habit for me that everything else kind of stems from. It affects my mood. It affects my sugar cravings things like that, um, and just general well-being and energy level. So that's an important one for me where I'm just like, okay, I kind of fell off. I can get back on. But with the dogs, hmm, I mean, I need to think. I need to be more mindful, I guess. Okay. And, 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 and looking at what areas I need to clean up. Excellent. How about you? Um, I think there's two things. Number one, I want to get back to my daily planning routine. Okay. Um, I'm not going through and really identifying, you know, what I'm trying to accomplish that day. I'm just jumping into the work. And mm -hmm. so I don't really have a, a plan for the plan. Um, and I feel like that's holding me back. And then with the dogs, I think that what if what if things could turn out better than they mm. if they imagined? 
right? And I caught myself this morning on the walk with Blue and and the boys for that matter. Um, I knew somewhere on the trail, because when we were getting the dogs out of the car, there was, you know, a person coming by, you know, with their dog and they were running and and uh, I was like, okay, I'm inevitably going to see this person with their dog on the trail on their return leg and I need to be ready. For, like, I was already projecting all of these things, mm. which I think was holding me back. And did you cross that person? No. Oh, see? So... Didn't even need to torture yourself with that. Exactly, exactly. And like I told you, the second half of my walk today was amazing. It was great. And so I don't know why I was placing all of these limiting expectations or you know fear of the unknown nice. on myself. Well, thanks, Liz, for sharing your tips on building new habits. If there's a habit that you're working on and you want some advice, some guidance, drop us a message, let us know. We'd be happy to give you some tips or strategies to help you be successful. One final quick thing, if you've got a question for Liz about dog training or you've got an idea for an upcoming episode, leave us a review on Apple iTunes and put the question or suggestion in your review and we will consider it for an upcoming show. I love it. Thank you so much for listening and until next time, stay calm and confident and, and consistent. And build some habits. Yeah. Bye. Bye. If you like what you heard, hit that subscribe button and leave us a comment or a review. We'd love to hear from you. We release a new podcast weekly. Follow us on Instagram at Honest to Dog Podcast. Honest to Dog Podcast is hosted by Liz Foley and Jeff Gadway. The show is engineered, edited, and produced by me, Timothy Musa. 